0: If you were in our audience last Lord's Day, and if you remember, we talked about the death of Jesus. Well, this morning I want us to talk about the glory of Jesus. I hope that last week, as we talked about His death, as we talked about His suffering on that rough-hewn wooden cross that the Romans had developed, I hope that somehow I was able to convey and help us to see the pain, the agony that Jesus endured. And what I hope to do this morning is to hold up Jesus Christ in a very powerful way. I want to hold Jesus Christ up so that every one of us can feel His unique greatness and that every one of us can feel and see his unequaled majesty. I want us to feel more deeply this morning the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as I'm telling you what my purpose is and what my objective is, I'm so afraid that I will not and we will not achieve that objective. And there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons why I'm afraid it's difficult, perhaps even impossible to achieve that objective. You see, the problem is those of us who live in this present age often have our senses dulled. Oftentimes our ability to appreciate anything has become somewhat jaded. When Jesus said, except ye be converted and become as little children, He was talking about us having the simplistic faith of a child. But also I think about how just the smallest little things can please children. Mason and Hudson have more toys than ought to be allowed by the law. And we were shopping the other day and Mason wanted a toy. And he found a little set of Rock'em Sock'em robots. They were about this tall. And it was a very, very inexpensive toy. Especially in comparison with what he has in his toy box and in his closet and in the garage and in the backyard and everywhere else. And instead of somebody telling him, Mason, you have enough toys, you don't need any more toys. Oh no, his Gigi said, well baby, I'll get that for you. And she did. And those two little rock'em sock'em robots, about this tall. You would have thought he had that they were made out of pure gold. He played with them all afternoon and left alone everything else in his toy box. But we've become so jaded that we can't be pleased. And, and we find, don't find the pleasure in the simple things of life that we once did. We've become almost worn out. With spectacular events. Everything in our world today is described in superlatives. How many things do you hear described as awesome? Breathtaking? Things that are remarkable and things that are absolutely fantastic. How can we possibly see? The real glory of Christ. When so many lesser things in our world are expressed and described so lavishly. And then there's another reason. Most of us have become quite familiar with the facts of Jesus' life for so many years. If you think about the facts of the life and death of Jesus Christ. There's nothing new. There's nothing you haven't already heard. That I can tell you about it. And so there's that old adage. Familiarity breeds contempt. And I understand. That in this instance it certainly is not contempt, but our familiarity with the facts of the life of Christ, I think our familiarity with the facts of his life and the facts of his death often causes us to take Christ for granted. Jesus has become commonplace. And so it doesn't excite us. The way it perhaps one time did, or perhaps the way that it should. And then there are my own limitations that I have to take into consideration. There's my own inability, I think, sometimes to comprehend the true greatness of Jesus Christ. Oh my. I wish I could have been there the day he fed the 5,000. I would have liked to have walked with Him up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. I would have liked to have been there when He healed the sick and made the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and when Jesus raised the dead. But I wasn't there. And I feel very keenly my own inability to sometimes make Jesus Christ real to an audience. I feel my inadequacy of putting a description of the greatness of Jesus into words. And I've said all of this to lead me to confess the anxiety I have of achieving the goal of this message this morning. So I'm asking for your help. Because you see, oftentimes the success or failure of a message... Depends upon the listener. So listen with an ear of faith. And with an ear to the greatness, the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ. Now let's begin this morning with the word glory. What does it mean? What exactly does this word glory actually mean? I have in my office a large... Webster's Unabridged Dictionary. You probably remember one of those in the library at school. The one I have measures five inches thick. It's old and it's heavy, and I'm actually not sure how much longer I'm going to be able to reach down and pick it up off that bottom shelf. My grandparents gave it to me for Christmas 53 years ago my grandmother actually bought it at the SNH and h Greenstamp store. You remember those? That's where it came from. But I go back to that big old dictionary quite often. And I looked up the word glory. And Webster defines glory as great honor and admiration won by doing something important or valuable. It is fame and renown. Now, with our goal in mind of feeling more deeply the greatness of Jesus Christ, and with an understanding of what the word glory means, let's turn to the Scriptures. And let's see there a picture of Jesus Christ. It was those who knew Jesus the best. His disciples. Who testified about His glory. Other men have disclosed their weaknesses to those who were most familiar with them. But it was not that way with Jesus. And then down through history. There have been many who have been known as great men who were not considered to be great by those who knew them best their wives or perhaps their husbands or children those who worked with them those who worked under them maybe this man or this woman was considered great but those who knew them best did not consider them to be great people and yet with Jesus those who knew him the best those who knew him the most intimately those that were closest to him Those that saw Him every day, they saw His glory more clearly than anybody else did. There was no one who was closer to Jesus than was John, the beloved disciple. And here's what John writes in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And in that same first chapter, just a few verses later, John writes, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, listen to it, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John was saying that He and the other apostles, together with a large circle of the disciples, have seen the divine Son of God as He lived in human form among men. And John put it in very simple terms. What did you say, John? We beheld His glory. There was another time that John said something quite Similar to that. He wrote. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled. Of the word of life. For the life was manifest. And we have seen it. And bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life. Which was with the Father. And was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard. Declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And then turning back a few pages, we find this passage that comes from the pen of the Apostle Peter. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 18. Peter writes, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. And when we were with him in the holy mountain. Then there was another apostle. An apostle by the name of Matthew Levi. And Matthew Levi actually recorded that same incident in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. After six days, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them, Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, while he yet spake. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud which says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you, him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and they were sore Afraid Charles Spurgeon was one of the most noted preachers of history in another era and another time. He preached in the London tabernacle to great throngs of people in the late 1800s. Spurgeon was born in 1834. He died at the age of 58 in 1892. There was no preacher of his era that had a wider audience, nor a greater impact on his audience. In one of his sermons, he spoke about the preeminence of Christ. And he based his lesson on a text that came from Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 6. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke to us in times past of the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir over all things, by whom also He made the world, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all the things by the world of His power, when he had, he had him, when he had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. I want you to look at that phrase in verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory. That phrase has a special meaning for us this morning. In that message. In that sermon. Spurgeon spoke of the glory of Christ. Under eight separate headings. First of all he spoke of the glory of the words of Christ. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said. But my word shall not pass away. Luke 21, 33. And then Spurgeon spoke of the glory of his enlightenment. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John chapter 8 and verse 12. In the third place was the glory of his salvation. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 11, 25 and 26. Fourthly, Spurgeon talked about the glory of his relationship to God. Where God said, this is my beloved son. We just read that in Matthew 17, verse 5. And then was the glory of the sacrifice of Jesus. You read of the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27. The centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that were done. They feared greatly saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. That's in Matthew 27 verse 54. And then next was mentioned the glory of his victory. Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Luke 24 verses 5 and 6. And he mentioned the glory of his gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wrote that in Romans 6 verse 23. Finally, Spurgeon spoke of the glory of Christ's pre-earthly existence. Jesus said, Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self. With the glory that I had with Thee before the world began. John chapter 17 and verse 5. In that same sermon, Spurgeon used a wonderful method of showing the preeminence of Christ. In the interest of time and the fact that all of us won't eat lunch sometime before supper time, I'm just going to mention a broad outline of Spurgeon's message. I'm going to leave out the development of the various points. But he said, just think for a moment. How much interest clusters around the life of an old man? But what is the life of an aged man? An old man, how brief his life is compared with the life of a tree that he's sitting under. But what's the life of the tree compared with the soil that that tree is growing in? But what's the history of that soil compared with the marvelous history of the rock that the soil is resting on? Or the cliff the tree is lifting its head over? What's the history of the cliff compared with the history of the sea that rolls at its base? But what is the history of the sea compared with the history of the heavens that stretch out like a curtain over that vast basin? But what's the history of the heavens? compared with the history of the angels that inhabit the heavens. But what's the history of the angels compared with the history of the Lord Jesus Christ who was with God before the world existed? Here's what we should do. We should gather with reverence and awe around the throne of Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. His name is called Wonderful. He existed before anything else existed, and by Him were all things made, and without Him was nothing made that has been made. I want you to go back in your mind's eye And think about a beautiful story that's in the early part of the gospel according to Luke. It's a story that's often read in December. And after the story is read in December, it's filed away to await the passing of another year. The simple but wonderful story of the birth of Christ is something that needs to be read. More often than it is. The meaning that the birth of Christ has for all of humanity. Needs to be comprehended much more generally. Than it is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 8. And there were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo... You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 26. verse 25 rather and behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the holy spirit was upon him and it was revealed unto him by the holy spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the lord's christ and he came by the spirit of the temple and when the parents brought in the child jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took ye him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared here before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This elderly man in Jerusalem, a man by the name of Simeon, he spent his time waiting for the coming of the Lord. The statement that he made there as he saw the child, the statement that he made he said Lord let thy servant depart in peace mine eyes have seen thy salvation a light to lighten the Gentiles the glory of thy people Israel those words that statement has had a great effect throughout all the centuries it was a part of the inspiration for Julia Ward Howe's famous Battle Hymn of the Republic Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of His terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Here's what Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commended the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, listen to it, To give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. As John on his island prison of Patmos brings the book of Revelation to a close. We find these words. Revelation 22 and verse 20 John writes. Come Lord Jesus. That was the desire of the early Christians. And they used that expression often, using it almost among themselves as a sacred greeting. That's the hope. That's the desire of those who fully comprehend what it means to be Christians and ultimately to have a home in heaven with Christ the Lord. But I want to make one statement. I want to hasten to make a statement that is imperative. It is imperative before Christ comes back that all of us come to Christ. Because it would be a tragedy indeed if Jesus Christ came before we came to Christ. Because our salvation depends upon our acceptance of Christ as Lord. My prayer is that all that All of us, all that we know would respond to the Lord, would come to Christ in the simple manner explained in the scriptures. Because when we come to Christ, then we can look forward. To the time that Christ shall come in the clouds and call the redeemed. It's his invitation as we stand.